busy, the Think Soapbox. Lucy, how are you? Welcome to episode 167 of Busy Living Sober. How are you today? Oh, fabulous. And I am truly busy living sober. A day at a time, girl. Day at a time. We only have today. Isn't that right? That's so true. So true. And always grateful for a new day that we do have. And so I'm glad to be visiting with you today. It's a delight. And I am excited about talking to you about how we do this thing one day at a time. So tell us, what was it like? What happened? And what is it like now? Ooh, what it was like, dark. Um, you know, I started using it at a young age, you know, and, and by the time I was 13, I had a mom and a uh, grandmother and an aunt who all died of alcoholism and then two brothers who had overdosed on heroin. And so I thought that's what people did was get high. And by the grace of God, I found out because of my own uh, addiction that kicked in that, no, you didn't have to die that way. You could actually get recovery. So my recovery came by the way of, you know, the system that says you have the right to remain silent. And when they said that to me, I was like, whoa, I cannot go to jail. That was truly somebody turning the lights on in my life because that was one thing I was afraid of. Don't take my freedom. And so uh, by the grace of God, I was given the opportunity to be on probation since it was my first uh, attempt of, of a crime. And and so um, she said to me when I went to the probation officer, she said, hey, Lucy, I want you to go pee, pee in a cup. And I was like, for what? She said, because I need to know if you get high. And I said, yeah, I get high. And she kind of was startled because I guess nobody really owned that, you know. I said, yeah, I get high because I thought that was what people did. And she said, well, what do you want to do about it? And I said, well, what can I do about it? And she said, you want to go to treatment? And I said, well, what's that? And so I, she started making phone calls, and I was sitting there, and it was a Friday, and when she hung up, she said, okay, I got you into a treatment program. And I said, okay, but I can't do that today. I started making excuses because it was Friday, and Macy's was across the street, and that's how I used to support my habit by boosting. And lo and behold, she made an appointment for me that Monday to go into treatment, and little did I know life was going to be happy, joyous, and free on a path to recovery thereafter. So I went to a detox in White Plains, New York. From there, they sent me upstate to Saranac Lake, New York, for a long-term treatment, which was probably about, oh, six weeks. And then they said, okay, you're going to a halfway house. I went to a halfway house after that. And 30 years later, here I am living it out loud. I never would have imagined in my wildest dreams that the gift of recovery would unfold the way it has in my life. You know, I'm a person in long-term recovery, and what that means is it's been 30 years since I've had the need to use any minor mood-altering substances. And today I can own a business, be a mother, be a sister, be a friend, be a leader, you know, have a voice, and know that, you know, I can do that one day at a time. So that's my experience, strength, and hope, girl. <laughs> and that was, and you're, as they call it in Florida, a one-chip wonder, aren't you? Yes, yes. You know, um, I think, you know, sometimes in the further you get along and the older you get, you kind of say, well, you know, um, but yeah, that was the first time me being introduced to the rooms and picking up my first trip. And I have never had to uh, experience that again. So I'm grateful for that. I'm truly, truly grateful for that. And the fact that, you know, I had enough evidence when with my family, you know, my bloodline said that if you go back out there or yeah, I don't even know if I thought going back out there was an option. I think I was just so grateful 
that I was shown a new way of life. Because again, I always say to people that, you know, nobody grows up as trying to saying that I want to be an addict or an alcoholic. I don't know anybody who ever got here by saying, oh yeah, that's what I planned to do when I was 12 years old, to ruin my life by becoming an addict. Just like the person with mental health, nobody, it, nobody signs up for this. And that's why I think people have to recognize, just like every other disease, nobody wants it. It's something that you find yourself in. But once you're in there, what we need to do is promote the recovery aspect of it and stop holding up addiction as this criminal, you're this, you're that, and the other. If we decriminalize addiction, we would make a lot more uh, progress in allowing people to realize there is a different way of life. And so I'm just grateful that, yeah, I only needed to pick up one white chip and I still got it. <laughs> and Lucy, tell me this. So when this woman said this to you and said, you're going to go into treatment, did you even think there was a, a other way of living? Did you ever think that you could have a life where there was recovery? I mean, from what you had seen in your childhood and with your mom and your brothers and your grandmother, I mean, uh-huh. did you think there was a way out? No, that's why I say when God opened the door and let me out of hell, um, he had told me then, i never forget, sitting up in St. Joe's in the chapel when they told me that I'd be going home that next week, and I was scared. I was scared to death, and I went and sat in the chapel all by myself, and I had one of these conversations with God that said, hey, God, I know you are real, but I need to know you are real today, and if you are, then give me a sign. Let me know I'm doing the right thing. Let me know I'm I don't have to go back to where I came from. And I'll never forget there was just this cool breeze that came through that chapel. And I just heard uh, I just heard in my spirit, if you hold on to my hand and not let go, you'll be all right. And I have never let go of God's unchanging hand. I am so grateful that every day I get to get up and celebrate life and live recovery out loud and show other people, if God did it for me, he can do it for them. He's not a respected person. And so tell us this. So your journey, you were in upstate New York. It's freezing mm-hmm. cold. You're wearing your big Girl. parka and your boots. And what happened? I came down to Georgia in January one year uh, to visit my brother who lived down here. And I never forget, I came down here in January and they were wearing like jackets, not coats and boots and all of that. There was no snow. There was no nothing. And I'm like, this is what this is like in January. Then at that time, I went over to South DeKalb Mall and I saw all of these African-American people and they all looked like they were doing well. And I'm like, wow, the South ain't a bad thing. This looks good. I think I want to try it. And so back then, you didn't have Google and all of these other search engines and all these ways we can find a job. You had the Atlanta Journal-Constitution newspaper. And so my brother started sending me the newspaper, the Sunday newspaper, because I was determined I'm getting out of New York and going south and doing the next chapter of life differently. Because my sponsor at the time when I was in the halfway house and my counselor in, in St. Joe's, they all told me the same thing. Don't make, make no major decisions your first year. Don't go nowhere for two years. So I gave it five. I gave it the first five years of my recovery. I stayed upstate New York. But when I was introduced to the South, it was like, oh, I'm headed South. So um, I started applying for a job, and I got hired with a company called Chris Holmes that has changed its name now. But they moved me to Georgia to be a living counselor. So I had a place to live, and I had a job. 
And so I came on down and I and I lived in Georgia and my son's dad got rested, so who was also in recovery, he followed me down here and we started a cleaning business and I knew real quick that I wasn't in the cleaning business. Uh <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't made to be in the cleaning business. When I was up in New York, I had gotten my CAC, my certification as an addiction counselor. I had worked and went to school. So I had some credentials uh, to work in the field. So when I came down here um, and took, started this cleaning business and realized that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I took, uh, put an ad out and got a job at a, um, a homeless shelter and I had never worked in a homeless shelter. So I go down there thinking people in homeless shelters because their house caught on fire or they lost their job or something happened and you needed a shelter. I got there and realized people were there because of addiction, mental illness, Mm. domestic Mm. violence, and undereducated, underinsured, all the ills of this world. And so I was like, okay. And I was hired as the resource counselor, and all I was supposed to do was get their kids in school, get them food stamps, get them in the system, that kind of thing. And I'm like, well, where do we address What's wrong with them? And I said, there are no places to send these women, you know, to get help, to get better. And so I called up the gentleman whose house I was cleaning, who happened to be quite wealthy. And I said, hey, Mr. D, I want to talk to you and your wife. No, I said, I want to come talk to you and your wife. And he said, well, why my wife? I said, well, she has the heart and you have the money. He said, <laughs> he said you'd be surprised. So I gave him what God had laid on my heart to do. He told me that now that I've set you free, go back and get others. And so I wanted to do that. And so he said to me that Sunday, he said, well, Lucy, write me a business plan. And this is what the business plan needs to have in it. And that Wednesday, I handed him a business plan. He lent me $1,500. And girl, back then, you can go get an apartment for $600. So I went and got uh, an apartment. And then I went to all the detoxes and day treatment programs because there weren't any halfway houses around in Georgia at that time. And I told them what I was doing. And literally... On June 1st, 1996, I picked up my first two uh, clients from a detox facility here in Georgia, Petrit. And I told them, okay, girls, we're in the halfway house business. So me and them figured it out. Me and another friend, Connie, who was working down at the shelter with me, who had two kids. I told her, come with me and do this. And, you know, you can be the person who lives on the property where the ladies are because we did it in an apartment complex. And lo and behold, within... Two months, we had 24 women from those first two. And when I tell you it has caught on like wildfire, today Mary Hall Freedom House, the organization that I founded, houses about 250 women and 80 children across the span of seven different types of programs. So, of course, treatment is our signature program. That's what we started, and that's our largest component, meaning substance abuse treatment. And so thereafter, we knew that a lot of these women, once they completed treatment, still didn't have any place to go. So we started uh, homeless housing programs. And so we got some grants from HUD to be able to do that. Then the Veterans Administration said, hey, you're doing it so well. You want to do it for female veterans? And we've been partnering with them for years. And so uh, last 2017, we opened up the first low-barrier shelter. I hate to call things shelter. I call it low-barrier housing for homeless so that 24-7 people can access. Because, again, when you're in trouble, it is not, not, not normally 9 to 5. It's usually at 11 o'clock at night or Sunday at 2 o'clock. So you can get out of that situation and get access to services at any time. We opened up the first low-barrier 
housing program, 40 bed facilities for women and families. So we serve single women upstairs and families downstairs so that people can access services and always have a door that they can walk through. So any given day, Mary Hall Freedom House houses about 250 adults and about 80 children. So that's it. Oh my gosh, amen. And how are you doing with this pandemic and what's going on? I mean, mm. Georgia open. didn't you open up now or have you not? I, but tell us about that. What's going on I, with you guys? I still think like everything else, it's a choice. Uh, just because your governor says, okay, everybody can go back to doing whatever. Uh, don't mean that everybody went running back out there to do whatever. It's amazing. You know, I, I actually did go out myself and I noticed that I went to a chiropractor and I noticed that the nail shop next to it didn't have people in it. You know, when you think about just because you're open don't mean that people are willing or willing to risk their lives. So I think it's a, uh, a individual choice that you're going to have to make how to care for yourself. I think a lot of people still are sheltering in. But as it relates to how we are doing services at Mary Hall, you know, I say to people, the first two weeks, we were all disoriented. And so spent the first two weeks just trying to get everything in those women's apartments because we house them in apartments. You know, the smart TVs, the smart devices, the laptop, everything so that we can go to telemedicine and be able Mm -hmm. to do groups and individual sessions that way, which Mm -hmm. has been working really fine. The women have bonded. They've even made their own mask and began to make masks for everybody in the community as well as uh, other communities, other homeless communities. That has really amazed me more than anything else. These women, you know, one of the staff took the women to the laundromat and she said, you know, I know they know us. I know they know our vehicles when we pull up. And our ladies were getting out of the van without mask on because it was by the time we tried to find them, it was too late. And so she said she was so disturbed by that. That evening when a friend of hers called, she told them how upset she was that she had a mask on as the employee, but all these women that she had did not. And she said, I just feel so bad about that. And her cousin told her, girl, you can make masks. And he sent her the uh, link to do that. And her and the women started making masks, not only for themselves, but the community as well. And so it has been amazing how they have bonded and how they want to give back because they are freely given. One woman told me one Monday morning, cause I do a Monday morning motivational group with the women. And she said, I came in the day before the shelter and in came in. She said, and I just want to tell you, thank you. And thank God. Cause I know if dope didn't kill me, the pandemic would have because of the way I was living before now. Mm. Yeah. And how is the pandemic affecting your community in terms of people getting to be able to get help and everything with everything closed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the first two weeks, we did have to stop admitting people. You know, I remember both of our nurses that we have on staff are over 60, and they immediately said, we can't come back. We cannot come to work. And I was like, and I gave everybody that directive, do what you need to do for yourself first. To thine own self, be true. Don't Um, worry about, you know, nothing else. Take care of yourself. And so, of course, my medical staff was the first ones who walked out on us. Um, But nonetheless, we went to temp services, but we didn't admit the first two weeks, you know. So as we all were so disoriented in those first two weeks, I think nobody 
knew what to do or how this was going to look. But then we had to go to reorientation, and that meant we were going to start admitting people, but we needed to do it in a different way. What did that look like? That looked like people who were coming straight from a detox we could take, people who may have been coming from incarceration, people who could go and get tested and, you know, that they were not, uh, didn't have COVID. And so we had to do some things a little differently in order to be able to allow people to get in. But yeah, now we're back up and running. You know, the women are not back in group settings. We're still utilizing technology. And so, and we probably will for a minute because the thought of bringing different people who have different immune systems and who are compromised and different women throughout the program have different challenges health-wise to bring them together in group settings. We won't do that for a minute, but nonetheless, you know, they are all happy every time I connect with them and talking about how well they are bonding and what they got going on. So it's always a pleasure to hear from them that in spite of what's going on in the world, they're grateful to be, to still be a part of it. It's so amazing. And now will you tell us about Hope Village? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you. So Hope Village is this amazing um, project that was started by Ricardo Handy. And this brother, years and years ago, came to Mary Hall. We were on the Keisha Cole show that featured her, her mom, that whole episode that was about her mom, her mom's addiction. And so I met Ricardo then. And years later, he reached out to me when he hit the wall with his dad's addiction and we walked through that and then he said Lucy just like you helped me and you've helped thousands of people I want to do your life story and show people that recovery is available and how they can work it and so we began a project and so Hope Village is now available on DVD and and you can get it Netflix I mean not Netflix um, you can get it by going to Hope Village dot com and you can get all the information we also have a book called hope dealer again that's who i am i am a hope dealer that's my product that's what i push i know the world needs hope and so therefore in the book we talk to the person who is still out there sick and suffering the person who is an ally family member friend co-worker and the clinician who is in the position to help treat the person. And so that's what the Hope Dealer book speaks to, you know, how do I identify I have a problem or how do I do an intervention or what if my children are on drugs that we speak to all of those things in that book. But in the movie, you know, it's my life and my journey in recovery and three of the women, three or four of the women who actually were at Mary Hall at that time where he started filming. And so we're excited next Tuesday on our podcast. Again, you can go to hopevillage.com and get all the information about the movie, the book, the podcast. The launch of the movie will be next Tuesday. And we would love for you to sign up for our virtual launch party. And I mean, party is going to be a DJ and all that. We're going to party and we're going to have a good time because we had this great plan that we were going to go to other facilities and different uh, cities to carry the movie and to do some work with them. But again, you know, we're going to do it anyway, because if ever the people need hope, it is now. And so through this movie, that's what it's all about. The redemptive hope that we all have because we get the right to recover. And again, holding up recovery, holding up recovery. And let's help those people who are out there using know that there is a way out of hell. 
I mean, are you an example? I mean, it is amazing. And was Mary Hall your mom? Is that who it's named yes. after? Yes. So my mom's name was Mary Hall, and then I named my daughter Mary Hall. So those would be the two bookends of my life, the woman who gave me life, and then the first child that I had. And, and so, you know, Mary Hall still lives on, the name Mary Hall still lives on every single day through my daughter, as well as the program is called Mary Hall Freedom House. And I always say this, and I say this to anybody who's listening, anybody who's looking, if you want help and you are a woman, please, if you find us, maryhallfreedomhouse.org or 770-642-5500, I always tell people, if you get here, we'll help you. So no matter where you are, if you get to Mary Hall Freedom House, we're going to help you. And so I really want people to get that. They don't have to be alone because that's how we do recover by our connections. I've got to be connected to people. I've got to have a community. I don't do this solo. I'm isolated in addiction. So I got to do the reverse of that and connect in recovery. So the hand of connection reaches out to you if you're somebody out there and needs recovery. There are so many ways for you to connect. There are so many things that you can do, like the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. They have a warm line. So if you from 8 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, if you are out there and you're using and you have questions or want to find a place to go, there are so many resources, whether it's from the federal level, SAMHSA, down to your local level. No matter what city you're in, no matter where you're at, you can get help. Don't do it by yourself. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And how many people have gone through Mary Hall as of today, would you say? Girl, it's been over 15,000 women, children, and families that have come through the doors of Mary Hall Freedom House. We serve on average about 1,000 people a year, whether it's through our employment programs and our housing programs and our treatment programs, because you can do it outpatient, whether it's through, you know, our child care services. We have a licensed child care facility in the area, and so not only do we love on our children, we love on the children in the community. And so there are many ways in which you can get connected. But Mary Hall served from 1996 to now over 15,000 individuals. And every day there is somebody else who reaches out and we want to be there. Okay. So tell me, what is the experience that people have when they come to Mary Freedom House? Do you, Mary Hall Freedom House, do they, tell, tell us what that's like. So women, of course, come from all walks of life and all uh, places in life. And so when a woman comes to Mary Hall, she can come from a referral from EAP, her parents, her loved ones, of intervention. She can come from the court system. There is no one place that one comes because, you know, we all wind up in a different place at the bottom, but nonetheless, we hit our bottoms. And so uh, when she comes in, a day in her life would be originally she might be in day treatment and we screen to see if she qualifies for residential housing, meaning that she doesn't have some place to live or some place that can support her recovery. So she'll come into recovery housing as well as day treatment. And so she does that for probably about 60 to 90 days. Again, it's all dependent on the individual. So there's no cut and dry to any one uh, treatment module for anybody because everybody comes from different places. So nonetheless, she completes that. She'll go into our job readiness program. And we, our work now program is comprised of what we call Freedom Academy, which is a one week program because she has, she may have work experience or 
a degree or whatever. And so that's what happens there. We partner with a number of corporations to do that. Our biggest partner is Coca-Cola. And then we also partner with Marriott and we also partner with somebody I'm missing and I hate that. Oh, SunTrust Bank. Let me not forget them. SunTrust is another one of our partners. And so that's who we partner with in order to be able to uh, bring those services to those women so that they are ready for work. And once they complete ready for work, they start working. They can go into our community housing, which is, you know, you're working and you're ready to save some money so that you can get out there and do your own thing. And so that's the next component of housing that they are qualified for and or they can go into independent housing. And that's long-term uh, recovery housing. So those would be the way in which people progress through the program and or they can come through our veterans programs. They may be a veteran who doesn't need treatment. She just needs housing. Or we have permanent housing for families. So there are a plethora of ways people access us. It doesn't all have to be in recovery. It can be homelessness and um, domestic violence and mental health. So we definitely want people to just be well and be the best that they can and live independent in the community. So, But in recovery, we do it one day at a time. I mean, Lucy, you are literally an angel. It sounds like you are such <laughs> an angel in how many people you help and you live you know, you live with those promises that we hear when we first come into these, pro- you know, at least if you use a 12-step program, there are these promises we get, right? If we Oh, absolutely. Doing- absolutely. And they do come, you know. Uh, and we've all heard that saying, don't leave before the miracle happens. It's true, you know. But I always want people to know they are individuals. So there is no one way people do this. There are many paths to recovery. Some people don't ever have to come to a treatment program. They go to 12-step meetings and they get it that way. But however you need it, you've got to decide, let me give it a try and see a different way of life. So I embrace many paths to recovery and pray that people realize whatever it takes, they just need to do it. Start the journey. Exactly. And if they're scared and they think, you know, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to 12 step group because you know, that's a cult. And I do that in air quotes right here. It's uh-huh, a cult. Uh-huh. It's all godlike. I mean, what do you say to that? I say to them, you can't knock it until you try it. You know, um, you know, and, and it says in the room that one is God. May you find him now, because at this point, what do you got to lose? Try something. I know a number of people who don't believe in God or don't believe in religion. And it's not about religion. That's the problem. People always associate God with religion. God is relationship. Let me say that again. God is not religion. God is relationship. That's why it says that one is God. May you find him now. And so, you know, re- recognizing that a God under you, that God who created you wants a relationship with you, you know, that's the biggest thing I thank God for The fact that I got that, you know, it wasn't about what church I went to, how often I went, you know, this, that, and the other. God just wanted to spend time with me and me to obey what it was I was supposed to do and live on purpose, you know, because all of us have a purpose. And I think that's where people really connect with their purpose, like what you do. You love it. You're passionate about it is because you're living your purpose. And we all have one. And so I just love to give people the connection to their purpose. And it sure ain't getting up every day getting high. No, and don't let the shame keep you down. Reach out for help as hard as it is. I mean, I know that that phone seems like it's 10,000 pounds. Okay, but pick it up. Ask for help. 
and start the journey because I tell you, and I say this all, you know, wholeheartedly. I say it again. I say this to women all the time. If you get to Mary Hall, we'll help you. Our phone number is 770-642-5500. And again, our website is maryhallfreedomhouse.org, maryhallfreedomhouse.org. We would love to partner with you in the journey of recovery. All you got to do is make the phone call and all you got to do is get here and we can do this thing because we need to be connected one to another. That's what recovery is all about. You know, you're in isolation now, whether you're drinking, whether you're doing drugs, whatever it is, you're in isolation. You live in the dark life, but there is so much light out here right now that you don't have to be in it by yourself. You don't have to keep living that way. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. Amen to that. Thank okay. you so much. I'm Absolutely. so excited about your movie that's coming out next Tuesday. I'm going to Absolutely. sign up for your halls, and I can't wait to watch everybody up there in Georgia. I'm down here in Florida, and I am so uh, – thank you so much for all of your understanding with all my Absolutely. and everything. Girl, and we I wish, done. Keep it moving. <laughs> we do. We do. And thank you again for all of your time and your energy. Thank you for inviting me. And for helping so many people out there, because it's just, uh, it's amazing. We all need each other today, more than ever. Absolutely. Now, you got to tell me, where in Florida are you? I'm in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. If I'm ever in Fort Lauderdale, I'm going to look you up, girl. And if you're ever in Georgia and you're in the Atlanta area, you got to look me up. Look up here. I promise. I'm coming over to meet you. Okay, likewise, and thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I enjoy it. God bless you. God bless you, too. Take care. And until next time, everybody, keep getting busy living sober. There you go. Bye.